Welcome to Workplace Trends with Liz Elam. I'm Liz, and I'm obsessed with the future of work and all things co-working. In our first season, we'll be focusing on one of my favorite things to roll around in my brain, design. We'll be interviewing specialists from all over the world in this five-part series, and we'll be exploring revolutionary design, new models, and the future of health and wellness in design. So let's get started. Well, good morning, Kay Sargent. I am so happy to have you on this morning. Thank you for joining me early. I'm happy to join you early. How are you today? (laughs) I'm great. Thank you. And for those of you who don't know Kay Sargent, she is the Senior Principal and Director of Workplace at HOK. She has a long list of accreditations, which are very impressive, and half of them I don't don't even know. I'm not going to. (laughs) I know the well one and the lead one. The rest I'm kind of confused on. (laughs) That's okay. I'm not a designer. (laughs) I'm just obsessed with design. Um, So to get to know you, Kay, we're going to do a really fast speed round, which you just say for the first thing that comes to your mind, or if you're not into it, just say pass. Just a couple. got it. Favorite iconic designer? Mish Vandero. Ikea, a yes or a no? Yes. Subway tile, yes or no? Yes. Favorite statement chandelier? Ooh, Frank Lloyd Wright. Mm. Default paint color for a powder room? White. Open plan, yes or no? Yes. Okay, that was it. Thank you. You. That was just with a, a caveat. Great for, yes. With a caveat for that last and one. That is, and, we'll, and, and, and we'll, because, well, because open plan, I would say no. Open environments, I would say mm, yes. And that's splitting yeah. a hair, but there is a difference. There is yeah. a difference. And maybe we'll talk about that later. But yes, there is a difference. Yeah, we will definitely get there. Well, when I was researching you, you came up with all of my favorite buzzy words of the moment hybrid, uh-huh. diversity, neurodiverse. Like you are, you know, all over all of the things. I don't don't even know how you do it. But first things first, we're going to launch into all of that. How the heck are you? I am I am okay. I mean, I'm I'm mm-hmm. doing well. I you mm-hmm. know, I don't think any of us can say that we're doing great, but I am amazingly fortunate to be in mm-hmm. a situation that, you know, I have a, an established network, I have a house, I, you know, have family around, mm-hmm. you know, so I cannot complain. Yeah. I know there are a lot of people in, in situations that are a lot more challenging. So mm-hmm. in all things considered, I'm doing very well in this situation. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I love to check in with everybody and make sure everybody's doing all right. And, yeah, I will you say, know, you know I, I'm used to traveling 90% of the time and I was probably one of the last people to go into lockdown mm-hmm. and I am I might be one of the last people to come out. I'm act, I think I've spent more time in my house in the last 7 months than I have in the last 12 years, but I'm kind of digging it. Yeah, I hear you. I am the same. I traveled all the time. I love traveling. I love going to an airport. I know that's super weird, but that energy just invigorates me and I know I'm about to go somewhere. But mm-hmm. um it's been odd. I've never been in my house as much. My garden looks amazing. My pets are very confused. And same. Yeah. And and I'm like, this is kind of nice. Like it's going to have to be really compelling to get me on the road. But at the same time, like I still have a lot of the world to see. Mm, Agreed. Yeah. And And I like being with people. You know, and it's funny, same. It's funny, Kay, one of my um, caveats, it kind of leads a little bit into some of the work you do around ADA and such is I always tell people like, go see the world while you're young and able-bodied because the United States has... 
the best access in the world and other countries aren't like that. Like if you're disabled, you're stuck in your home, you know, there's cobblestone streets, there's staircases, like you've got to travel while you're able-bodied because you can do all the U.S. when you're old and decrepit. I can't believe you just said that because I am so acutely aware when I'm in other countries about, oh my God, I can barely maneuver around half those Mm -hmm. places. I don't know how anybody else can. And, you know, I actually brought up to a friend of mine in Australia and he kind of made fun of me for being so wimpy. But it's like, (laughs) you know, you go to some of these places and it's just, you know, the the environment is like an obstacle course. Oh yeah. Do this, do the stairs in Positano. It's like 2000 straight up. I mean, you've got to be in great shape to do that. Yeah. Or Um, even trying to open doors, you know, that, mm -hmm. that, you know, super heavy doors or, you know, varying heights of stairs or trying to get in and out of things. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, we're lucky. We're so lucky. People have no idea. You have to travel to know that. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember one time I was doing a trip to do some charity work in Nigeria and we went into somebody's house to bring them food and their disabled children were there. They couldn't leave. They didn't have wheelchairs. They were just, that's their life because yeah. it, it just wasn't accessible for them. And so, yeah, we're yeah. just insanely lucky. But then you go to places like Cuba and there's a ton of people that are disabled and they can get around and they're very well accepted in the society. And, you know, so it, I remember my daughter saying, why are there so many disabled people here? And it's like, because they take care of them. And so they can be, you know, it's like in other places, mm-hmm. they don't survive. They don't make it. Right. right. So, you know, really interesting perspective. Yeah. 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 I'm, the queue is really high on my list of places I need to go that I haven't been yet. So, you know, one of my favorite things about you is you are not afraid to speak your mind or take a stand, which <laughs> I am very similar in that way. And I love that. And one of the things I, I read all about neurodiverse design um, yeah. and work design magazine that you did. And I was just so happy to see that someone was finally addressing mental health because I've been talking about it for years, trying to push people that way. It's so prolific in our society. And I believe with COVID, it's going to get even worse. And so, yeah, if you could tell our audience a little bit about what neurodiverse design is and um, why that has become an area of focus for you. Sure. So first of all, I'm a mother of five children and all my kids are different. And part of the reason I'm as blunt as I probably am is that I just have no links left in my chain. They've all been yanked that I just, you know, it's like, right. To, you know, I, I always tell my youngest Survival. daughter, it's like, you know, no BS, right. I've, I've had it all. I've heard it all. Like just cut right to it. Right. Um, yeah. So, but four or five years ago, we had a client that asked us, how do you design a space for somebody that has ADHD? And, you know, I've designed uh, a lot of educational facilities. And so I had some answers. And of course, you know, having kids, you, you kind of learn different things along the way, but I didn't have a great answer for how we really needed to address that in the workplace. And anytime I don't have a good answer to something, I want to know, I want to find out more. I think my number one skill set is my curiosity and Mm. a desire to constantly learn and constantly do better and ask, okay, so what, what does that mean and how do I apply it? Right. And so we started to dig into this and what we found is that there was almost no information about how to design workplaces for people that are neurodiverse. It's almost all geared towards uh, 
uh, education. Yeah, and, and, and a lot towards physical health and not mental health. Right, exactly. And and physical, you know, and and mental health. Quite frankly, there's a there's a huge debate. You know, some people in the neurodiverse world will say that depression isn't part of neurodiversity. Other people will say it one absolutely positively is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if if you don't include it, one in eight people is considered neurodiverse. ADHD on the spectrum, Tourette's, dyslexia. If you do include it, the number skyrockets. And, you know, before COVID, depression, anxiety were huge issues and they were rising and of a growing concern. In fact, Tower Watson came out with a report several years ago that said the number one lifestyle risk is stress and threat. And that's impacting work. And the thing we spend the less, the least attention to is stress. In fact, in the U.S., it's kind of considered a badge of honor, right? But I think the CDC just came out with a report that said that people are feeling the symptoms of depression and anxiety three to four times higher this June than they mm-hmm. did a year ago. And that was mm-hmm. in June. You know, you wait till we get to January or February. I know. Yeah. And well, and the other thing is, is, you know, the most, according to the World Economic Forum, this was pre-COVID, the most expensive line item healthcare wise for all companies globally is depression. That's yeah. what's keeping people from coming to work. That's why they're staying yeah. home. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a high percentage of people that are neurodiverse that have comorbidity issues and depression is is one of those. And so there's a very high percentage of people that have it. And I think we are not really truly addressing this holistically and we need to. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's all the aspects of neurodiversity that we need to account for. But I, I think what we, in February, one of my last trips before we kind of went into lockdown or quarantine, I had just come back uh, in early March from being in Dubai and South Africa. And in South Africa, uh, we were talking to some folks about sensory intelligence. You know, and we talk about our how smart we are, right? Or mm-hmm. we think we are. And then, of course, we talk about our emotional intelligence. That's gotten a lot of uh, play over the last several years, as it should, because it's incredibly important. But we don't talk a lot about sensory intelligence. And that is that we all have sensitivities to different stimulation, sound, noise, uh, smells, touch. And people that are neurodiverse tend to spike really, really high or really, really low. They tend to be hypo or hyper sensitive. Mm-hmm. But we all, all of us, neurodi- neurotypicals included, have sensitivities. And most of us are grossly under aware. You know, we might kind of think, or, but we have never really mapped it out. And so there actually are tests that you can take. And when you take them, it's absolutely fascinating to see what your sensitivities are. And if you have a better understanding of those, then you can function in workplace better. And so when hmm. COVID hit, all of a sudden, the entire world now has a heightened sensitivity to touch, to mm-hmm. proximity, and to mm-hmm. even smell. So a lot of that research we did is highly applicable right now about how do we design spaces to make people feel safe or mm-hmm. to feel better about being together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. One of my hypotheses for the future is that we're going to stop calling things like offices and conference rooms and meetings rooms and they're going to be like focus rooms, project work rooms, sensory deprivation rooms. 
Yeah. Well, we we actually designed as part of our research. We we designed a multi-sensory zone. Just think about a I Star saw Trek it. And the hologram. I saw it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we can do that. You know, we have the technology today that we actually can do. We can't teleport you someplace, but we can change <laughs> the the all the stimulation in a room to your your preset settings. And I love the fact that you want to you know disband some of these terms. If I could get rid of the word office, I would. If I could get rid of the word Same. open office, I would. Like, mm-hmm. I'm seriously, I see that, and it's just like my what is up with i feel like fast companies got a thing against that that term or they're they're just really focused on it and i'm like why are you so focused on this is sent from hell (laughs) well i kind of look at this and i don't mean to be snarky but it's like you're telling me that your horse isn't fast enough we've been driving cars (laughs) for a long time get on a car right you know i mean it's like you're you're beating a topic that has been dead for a long time and i just don't understand how people don't get beyond this right but part of it is that we in our industry really suck at, at terminology. And so open, we all use terminology differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, agile means different things to people. Flex yep. means different things. ABW yep. means different things. I mean, and, and they really don't mean different things. They all have an official definition. It's just that people muddy the water and weigh in on things. And, you know, open plan is a concept that was done in the 90s that was, you know, everybody in pretty much rows of workstations, assigned seating, some support space, but really kind of dedicated individual spaces. And most of the environments that we're designing today are are activity-based working, if not neighborhood-based, if not agile, if not memo spaces, right? We've gone Mm -hmm. so far beyond that. But And just because they're more open, Mm -hmm. people just lump them all together. So there's a gross misunderstanding. And there are some bad open plan spaces. There are, Mm -hmm. but you know, they often it's because people are assigned and they don't have a lot of options and there's no variety or choice. So, uh, you know, you can diagnose it. And I the Harvard did a study. There were two guys from Harvard that did that study. That was probably one of the most flawed research studies that's out there. And everybody just gloms onto that and uses Mm -hmm. that. And it's just infuriating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like, as I've, you know, kind of moved out of managing my own workplaces and more into the events and the future and looking forward and strategic, one of the things that I've started, you know, that I ask now about research is I'm like, well, how big was the sample? And that wasn't something I asked before. I would just see research and be like, oh, well, it's research. It's right. And now it's not always right. You got to drill down into it and be like, was that 300 people or was that 30,000 people? Right. Yeah. And, and you know, was it, was it, so in the Harvard one that the two guys did, it was basically two workspaces. It was a very short time. They, you know, they didn't really give people the time or the training to understand the new environment. And it was a very limited sample of individuals. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I could give you the 10 things that make that a flawed study, but, you know, nobody sees that, right? And right. so they just take it for, take it with a grain of, you know, take it for what it is and they really shouldn't. So yeah. That's and I really hear you. I really hear you on the nomenclature because you know I've really attached to the word co-working and now it's flexible and then there's you know spaces of service and there there's all these things and you know I'm like, well that's great. It's all just nomenclature. But the root change is that workers now get to choose where they work. And that dramatically right. just changed everything. Like that's right. Like, well I 
thank God for the biggest work from home experience ever, because <laughs> it's going to really change our workspaces for the better, I believe. Okay. But come on, you, you have to kind of laugh, right? Like as someone who has traveled a lot, you know, I, I kind of, in the beginning of this, when people were like, wow, people can work from home. Oh yeah. It was like, what, what rock have you been under for the last 20 years? I mean, people have been working from home since mm-hmm. 1980. Now, maybe not as successfully, right? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I, working from home is a luxury for me. I'm used to sitting at an airport or on an airplane, yeah, you know, working. exactly. I mean, you know, it's really work from anywhere is really the thing. Mm-hmm. It's not even work from home because quite frankly, there's a whole lot of people that cannot work from home, shouldn't work from home, and it's not set up for them and it's not mm-hmm. Right. It really should should be work from anywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I think it's interesting because studies have shown for years that people can be more, and I'm going to put air quotes, productive working remotely. Okay. But there's a lot of caveats to that. Okay. The number one caveat is it's not all about productivity. It's about social capital. It's about innovation. It's about creativity. It's about mentoring. It's about coaching. And those things are suffering. Okay. So we mm-hmm. need to be honest. So it's not mm-hmm. just about, you know, is my inbox empty and saying, wow, I had a productive day. Okay. If that's what you're judging. Okay. But did you bring value, real value to your mm-hmm. company? Okay. And I think that's a huge question mark. Number two, I think it's at a cost. Uh, the second caveat is people tend to work one to three hours a day, not a week, a day more when they're working from home because they just roll their commute time just gets rolled into their day. Mm-hmm. And so they're working longer and they're sitting in one place and the, the level of movement and engagement is plummeting. And the uh, the variety of settings and the change is plummeting. And so it's having an impact on our mental and physical health. And Absolutely. if companies think they can sustain this without putting things in place, you know, I think they're wrong and no good deed goes unpunished. They're coming for us, right? You know, now all of a mm-hmm. sudden there's all these rules and regulations about about, well, maybe we should be taxing, you know, companies, uh, people that are working from home and, you know, 5% of their salary should be taxed so that they can make up for the lost revenue of people going into the cities and, you know, the community and the tax, you know, all these other things. So I, I think we have to take all of this with a massive grain of salt and see the side effect. And one of the things I don't think we do well is we tend to go from one extreme to the other. Yep. And Usually the answer is in the middle. And right now yeah. we are swinging. We're yeah, swinging I totally, all the way to, totally agree with you. Like, don't even get yeah. me started about like, for me, a huge part of the work from home is the mental health part. It's the loneliness part. It's the connectedness part that's totally not there. And then I've been doing a lot of research lately into, you know, the loneliness epidemic and reading the Healthy Workplace Nudge from Rex Miller and Healthy Buildings. And, you know, it's it's also interesting to me that like very small tweaks in a building can actually really increase productivity. If we just give everybody some more air and increase the airflow, you actually see productivity rise. And then yeah, or yeah, uh, encourage movement. Right. Yeah. Like one of my favorite workspaces is a space in Australia that's got a walking track inside. I'm like, how great is that? That like just get off your desk and do a loop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, we've so, um, we've been we've been ideating a lot about where we're going and what mm, we think is next. Do and, tell. Uh, 
I, uh, <laughs> You're I, like, I can't. Well, well, no, no, absolutely. I'm happy to. If you have three hours, I'll tell you. No, just <laughs> um, but, but, you know, when we first started talking to some of our clients about what we thought, first of all, we think everybody needs to take a breath and realize that we're still in the middle of an evolving situation and we need to, we need to have maximum flexibility and avoid making dramatic locks, lock-ins, I think. You know, mm-hmm. people that are saying, okay, get rid of all of our space or whatever. I think it's going to come back and bite them. I really do. Yeah, and I think it's going to take us eight. 18 to 36 months for all of this to settle out because it's, you know, there's going to be trepidation. We're going to be trying new things. Some stuff's going to work. Some stuff's not. Mm -hmm. People aren't thinking of the side effects. And so, you know, we just need to think a little bit more holistically about some of this stuff Mm -hmm. as we go forward. We believe, and quite frankly, uh, the more I think about it, the less, you know, revolutionary it is because quite frankly, we've been thinking about this for a long time. You know, people like you and I have been thinking, I mean, my job is basically to think about what is coming and do a lot of future casting. And so a lot of the things that we've been talking about for years, COVID is now the fuel on the fire that might actually be the catalyst to help some of these things happen. Okay, yeah. And so we believe we're going into this new ecosystem of spaces. And this is why if I could get rid of the word the office, I would because I think <laughs> it's very antiquated. Yeah. Um, I think what we're seeing now is the acceptance of what was actually happening anyway. People are working from home. People are working in third places and people are going to a hub or a central space or what they used to call the office. That's been happening. Okay, so now let's just officially name it and call Mm -hmm. it the ecosystem of work. Let's allow Mm -hmm. people to do it. And then let's design each one of them with purpose and intent for what you're supposed to do. Because Mm -hmm. you said it in the very beginning, we have to now create compelling enough environments that entice people to want to be there. The hub... Right. So the hub has to offer something different than what I'm getting at home. And yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. You absolutely have to. And, you know, I've been really like dreaming about this space that doesn't look anything like the traditional office. Like I don't even want square desks. Like we've got to just throw it out and start over. And, Mm -hmm. and I really think like you're so onto something with the neurodiversity because I, I believe that depression is part of it. And then those numbers do grow up, go, go up dramatically, as you said earlier. And I just think our offices are currently kind of designed incorrectly. And now that people have choice, yeah, not only does the office need to be better than the home, the third place needs to be better than home. And so, yeah, now that people have choice and we're ushering in the fourth industrial revolution, everything's being turned on its head and I love it. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, we, (laughs) the office is, and the way we deliver space mm-hmm. and the way we execute and occupy is so antiquated. Our industry is so bright mm-hmm. for disruption. Yep. And if we don't do it, this could seriously be, I think, our Kodak moment where mm-hmm. we knew that things were different. I mean, you know, I could ask you a series of questions. Yeah. Is it if somebody needs space today, they need it now, telling them that it's going to take six to nine months for them to get in, is that a suitable answer? No. You know, is it our 10-year leases still 
relevant? You know, is it okay that your furniture and your lease outlast the livelihood of your company? You know, most companies today have shelf life or a life, literally 7.5 years, mm-hmm. yet leases are 10 years and furniture is 20 years, if not wears out before it, you know, it uglies out mm-hmm. before it wears out, right? And so just everything is out of sync and we yeah. need to really think about what do companies need? The fact that you have to, to lease a space for 10 years when you don't even know what's going to happen three to five years down the line, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, we need to be much more realistic and we need to give people more agility and flexibility in the solutions and how quickly we can get them in and or out and ebb and flow. And we have the ability to do that. And mm-hmm. the experience that most of us have in our cars <laughs> is a better experience than most of us have <laughs> in our workplaces, right? And so, so we true. need to catch up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's exciting right now. If you ask me, I'm super excited about it. And the other thing I love is that I feel like the younger generations are just kind of voting with their feet. You know, I've been sitting in a co-working space in Austin, Texas for a few months now. And I see people come in from corporations that are just like, I can't be home anymore. And they can't wait on their company to figure it out. So they're just going to go get a co-working space because they have to get out of their house for whatever reason. Yeah. But here's the challenge. The number one issue today that companies are grappling with are health, safety, and the well-being of their employees. That is the number one issue. If that Mm -hmm. was not the number one issue, we'd all be sitting at our offices. Mm -hmm. Companies are highly risk averse, highly risk averse, because we are an an amazingly, ridiculously litigious society. And at the back end Mm -hmm. of this, I can't even imagine the lawsuits we're going to see, right? The crazy lawsuits. But, you know, putting people in spaces that you don't control is problematic. So what we believe is going to start to happen is, and and I'm going to go back to something else. We talked about terminology. So let me just explain Mm -hmm. the terminology that I'm going to use. Co-working, we would describe as spaces where you can come and take a spot or a block of spots. Okay. Serviced offices are where you're taking a chunk of space and everything is being provided for you and they're more flexible terms and shorter lease terms, et cetera. Managed offices is when they're coming in and doing it in your space. And I think that, you know, that model has dissipated a lot with the, we'll say the demise of WeWork, but the altering of WeWork status. But serviced offices, if I'm a company and I didn't want everybody to come into the city, we believe that these spokes could are, are going to be the answer for uh, a period of time. And so mm-hmm. I might do a zip code analysis and find out that I've got a hundred people in this one, you know, two or three zip codes that live near each other. I might take a short-term lease and we would call that flex space, three or four year lease, and it provide them a space where they can go in the suburbs. In areas that don't have as many people, I might find a co-working space and take a block or a chunk of space serviced office model and say this, I want to have 20 desks that are reserved for my people and that I have some control over and that other people don't have access to. Because then Mm -hmm. you can put the spaces where people need them, but you also have some form of control, right? About what they're being exposed to or who they're being exposed to. And so we see these spokes as a variety of, it could be, you know, a spoke could be someplace that you own. It could be a co-working space, a serviced office. It could be a Panera, a Starbucks, an airport, mm-hmm. whatever that is, but that those are becoming more important because a lot of people do not want to take that commute. 
to a downtown yeah. location oh, to be absolutely. exposed. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think, you know, the only thing I would maybe question on that is, you know, most co-working operators do have serviced office or space as a service. Like yep. two years ago, I gave 8,000 square feet in one of my spaces to the largest accounting firm. So like we do offer that. And that's often yeah, something people don't understand is that that's also available in co-working. That it's not, it's not kegs and foosball and pool tables and startups anymore. It's that we've fully gone into space as a service. Absolutely. So um, it's so funny. I had all these questions written out and I and I didn't get to any of them because you and I can just converse about this probably all day. But in the, in the interest of time, I, I am going to go to a couple of questions because I'm so interested sure. in how you think. And one of the things I'm super interested in is where do you go for inspiration? Well, first of all, my travels, I think, are always inspirational. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I can find inspiration almost anywhere. And I'll, I'll just tell you, I, I don't think we're asking enough questions and I think we're taking some things for granted. So I'll share with you where the last spark of inspiration came from and it'll tell you how I think. Everybody is talking about social justice and social equity mm-hmm. and everybody is saying that we need to do this. And I told mm-hmm. you before, I'm a, okay, that's nice. So what, what does that mean type yep. of person? Very tactical. Tell me what I need to do, right? How do I do that? Mm-hmm. And there's almost no information out there about that. And so we now have an initiative in our company based on that is what does that mean? And to understand mm-hmm. what that means, you need to understand what people's stories are. So we need to listen and we need to see different perspectives. And then we need to come up with, here are some things that we can act actually do executable mm-hmm. things because saying something isn't doing it and telling mm-hmm. everybody we need to design to be more socially equitable. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. What, like what, is, what, how does that represent itself? And so mm-hmm. I, if I can't answer that question, that's, that's, that's not great. And so we're going to find the answer to that question about what are some of the things that we could or should be doing from a space standpoint. And that is really mm-hmm. what took our neurodiverse uh, and our neurodiversity research to the level that it did, because we just kept pushing the boundaries, right? And I think mm-hmm. the other thing where I find immense inspiration is my colleagues and my teammates, you know, the younger generation and listening mm-hmm. to them and yep. just their thoughts and ideas and and their perspectives, I just find amazingly fascinating and incredible. So that's where I would say. Yeah, I love that. And and I hear you. It was interesting when the Black Lives Matter thing really kind of blew up this summer. You know, I I was looking at everybody putting out statements and I'm like, this just doesn't feel right. And I was like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I'm afraid I'm going to offend somebody. And so I went to somebody I knew in diversity and inclusion and we got together an amazing panel and that donated their time and it answered all of our questions and helped us and made us feel more comfortable having the conversations we needed to have. And, you know, it is definitely a huge area of focus and one that I I think is super interesting design-wise, like how do you design for diversity and inclusion? You know, those are the kind of questions that I love to roll around in my brain. And then, you know, the last question for you, Kay, is, you know, what are you most excited about for the future of our industry? I think my my thing that I feel is really important is that we just take mm-hmm. a moment and we realize the moment of time that we're in and how unique this is. I don't want the younger generation who has just come in to uh, the workplace and the and our profession and think that this is normal and that every day we have the opportunity to rethink everything about work and how we work, etc. 
In my 35-year career, there have only been two other times or periods where there has been an event or an advancement that was significant enough that made everybody really stop and think about work and workplace and the implications for that. One was September 11th and Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. And, you know, will we ever be in tall buildings again? Uh, Will people be in the cities? How do we design? What do we need to do? What degree of fortification? You know, I mean, there was, you know, you, if you, when we, if you think back on what we went through at that time, it, there was a lot of soul searching and there was a lot Mm -hmm. of questions and a lot of unknowns. Um, and then the other one is the dot bomb and the global financial crisis when mm-hmm. you know people were doing radical things because of real estate and costs and the economic situations. This is one of the few times, and again, 35 years, this is one of the few times where everybody is thinking about what is the future of work, the workforce, and the workplace. And this does not happen all the time. And so for mm-hmm. people like myself who are on the back end of our career, these are legacy moments, what we mm-hmm. do now. And, and if we blow the opportunity when the whole world is asking us, what should we be doing? If we go small and we don't address all the things that we weren't doing well before and all the things we know are on the horizon, then we've lost the opportunity mm-hmm. and we may not get that back for a long time. And so I'm excited that we have this opportunity And I would challenge everybody to think big, to have courage, to really think about, you know, biometrics, artificial intelligence, robotics, all those things are here and they are on the verge of coming into and impacting the way that we work. And we need to acknowledge that. And we need to acknowledge that there were things that we weren't doing well before. You know, Mm -hmm. we have to address climate change. We have mm-hmm. to address stress and burnout and all of these other factors. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, when we have this opportunity, um, shame on us. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, I can't I can't improve on that. Brilliant. And I completely agree. And I think it is an amazing opportunity and just a great opportunity to change the world for the better. So yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> Good. All right, let's do it. And can we start by getting people to stop saying, you know, open plan sucks? I mean, can we just get beyond that for God's sake? Oh my gosh. I am like, what? People, get over it. It is not, yeah, don't even get me started or we'll be on here for another hour. But Kay, thank you so much for sharing your your knowledge and your strength and your vision. It's such a treat and I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to see what you're going to do. More than happy to. And yeah, stay tuned because we're about to post a bunch of stuff that we've been researching and developing. Love it. All right. Well, thanks y'all. Tune in next time. Thank you for joining us for Workplace Trends. I'm Liz Elam, and we will see you on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a like. We'll see you next time.